Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. As we're worshiping. So we want to give opportunity for that now. people do things and sometimes we copy thinking that's how we're going to get to God but Jesus didn't come for us to be copycats of people he came to liberate us to save us and to set us free and he even went so far as to say I want you to be my hands and my feet in this earth God is pouring out right now his compassion. He's pouring out his love. He's pouring out his spirit. He says upon all flesh. And some of you, your dreams are going to be renewed right here and right now. Some of you will be completely set free from something that has been coming against your heart, your mind for years. Because that's the power of our Heavenly Father. Some of you are going to release some things that you've been locking people up in your heart because of stuff that they've said and done. And God says, let them go because it's only hurting you. Some of us in this room have walked through some things in our lives where we've been spiritually abused, where things have been done in the name of God that were not God. But the Father says, if you want healing, you've got to let go of that and grab a hold of me because I'll set those things straight. One of the things that God showed us in prayer this morning was that he didn't raise you up to this third level by accident. God is looking to transform this city. And there are those who have been on the wall. There are those who have been fighting that good fight. The Lord is going to bring them together. You're going to see some new faces. You're going to understand some things about God's plan. He's going to connect you up with city leaders. He's going to draw his body together. Because this is Jubilee. This is Jubilee. The nation of Israel understands it. 
Most of us don't get to see more than one of those in a life. It's every 50 years. I love God's calendar because it's dead on. So I just wanted to encourage you with that word because I feel like God is stirring us. Holiness is not good behavior. Holiness is giving up and surrendering and letting Jesus come and do things in you and through you that you would never have been able to do. Every time that you hear somebody say, and we say it oftentimes to ourselves, I can't, I've tried, but I can't. And God says, that's right. That's not what I've asked you to do. Do you realize that when Jesus brings us all before him, he is going to reward each and every one of you for what he did in you. It's not like our boss at work. It's not how much we produced. It's how much he could produce with a life laid down. That's why he told us things like wash one another's feet. That's why God is God. And if you can just allow that to permeate your hearts, Jesus is all you need and the transformation that's inside of you and the kingdom that's right there. It's not about another seminar, although I have nothing against those. But when Jesus met me, I was filled with religion and I was sitting on my porch. Okay, with a beer and a cigarette. And God came to me. And he said, son, I love you. I was so beat up. I was ready to go the other direction. And he did such an amazing work in my life. And he's continuing to do it to this day. I left Hollywood and all the music industry behind. I said, Lord, I'll just write for you. He's no respecter of persons. He loves each and every one of us. Get ready for the unleashing of his power in your life. Just surrender all. Amen. guys see it, but I want to read it to you if you'll just kind of close your eyes and put yourself in a receive mode. It was said that we have uh, an opportunity to give a word. This is a word I believe God's speaking to you guys. If you notice, it's showing a balloon and there's a bunch of grapevines showing a vineyard. Looks like it would be taken in California around Napa Valley. Here's what it says to you today, especially since we were in Jubilee. Behold, you have come into a new place of fruitfulness. Your life is increasing in the fruitfulness of my favor and my blessing. Attack your circumstances with the fruit of favor. Take responsibility for being fruitful in all situations. 
The time of lean and barrenness is over. It's over, it's over, it's over. Enter into your inheritance. The vineyard is my fullness for you. Not one tree, but many trees of life and favor. Not one vine, but many vines of promise and fullness to abide in. This is the place of your abiding. I am teaching you to live, dwell, and remain in a conscience abiding in my favor. You are unleashed to soar in the spirit of my favor. You are untethered, no longer earthbound, your ability to receive. Soar into the place of provision and inheritance. Be filled with the fruit of the Spirit and enjoy my presence. This is your promised land. Take responsibility for abiding. Enjoy the test. Each one has an upgrade attached. You are empowered to pass the test by the practice of abiding. Amen. Abide in the presence of God. It's really not the building. It's not where you're at. It's where you're at right here. Practice abiding. God's got some good stuff for you. If it's okay with you guys, I'm not going to read a lot of passages of the scriptures. You can go home and search them out. I actually challenge you to do so. Uh, and I did have, I have a book I gave to Joshua and, and Jennifer, and I gave one also to Jay and Joy. If you want to get an awesome book on prophetic teaching, translating God, hearing the voice for yourself, hearing God's voice for yourself in the, in the world around you by Sean Boltz. Um, I've heard a lot of teaching, and I've done a lot of teaching on prophetic, and uh, this one's rocking my world. Because uh, you can teach people about the process, the protocol, the technique, when, where, how, uh, and all the scriptural stuff behind it, but Sean Boltz covers the heart of it like no one else I've ever, ever read. Uh, I really encourage you to get Translating God by Sean Boltz. Uh, it'll change your life, change your world. I do want to talk to you about something today. I was wondering what I was going to share, and I didn't know until 
I thought beforehand, and then I thought in the prayer room, and and after worship and knowing things that was going on, it, it absolutely fits what I felt like God was saying. It's uh, becoming a kingdom culture. Um, you know, uh, well, let me just go ahead and wreck your thinking a little bit first, and then we'll get on with it, all right? Uh, being a cult might not be so bad. As long as it's tied to the Father. Don't you know the word cult really came from people who knew how to absolutely live a culture? The word culture comes from cult. And there really is a kingdom culture that we're all supposed to be living. We're really not of this world. We are of a different world already. I'm not waiting for Jesus to come. I'm living it now. Amen? I mean, you, you can wait till you're blue in the face for Jesus to do everything for you, but I'm just going to live in the fullness that he wants me to live right now and enjoy every bit of it. So if somebody says, oh, man, you Jesus freaks are a cult, go, okay. I'm okay with that. You know, it's like it's better than some of the cults I've seen that are, re re that are connected to a demonic basis. It's really where you get your source. And if you guys ever get around a lot outside of Wyoming, because Wyoming is a culture in itself. Really, my daughter was say. Well, I don't know if it was my daughter or my wife I heard say, you know you're in Wyoming when hunting is on the front page of the newspaper. <laughs> you know, because we're, we're a culture. And other people may think we're a cult, but we're a culture here in Wyoming. It's the way we live and breathe. And it's like, you know, it's like October 15th was a, uh, you know, the day after Christmas, there's two days on earth, Christmas and October 15th. It's like, you know, it's, it's how, when I came here, I couldn't believe how it was. Um, but the word culture comes from the word cult, and, and I know I said that deliberately just to wreck your head. But don't shut me out, please, because of that. I did it so you would open up a little bit of thinking here. It's like, no, I'm not saying that we want to be some, one of these demonic cults that practices witchcraft and everything else. But I absolutely want to be known as different from the way this world's culture is. I don't mind being labeled or saying, you just don't fit in this world. You just don't look the same. You don't act the same. You don't think the same. You don't process the same. You know, I'm waiting for this next coming year. I cannot wait till we have a conference. But yet the teaching's been going on in me now for about a year. It's talking about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And everything else, in, in the scripture that says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Do you know that really doesn't mean what you think about is the way you are? It really means as you process the truth. The way that you process the truth determines who you're going to be. Because I can say the same truth today, and everyone in this room may hear it differently. And the way that you process it will determine how it affects your life. So it's as we think, as we, as we choose to think the way the kingdom thinks, when we quit being orphans in our mind, when we start realizing we are already from another kingdom, and we're kingdomizing earth, we're establishing kingdom rule on planet earth, we are a different kind of people. We're a breed of people that the earth has never seen before. Amen? You are a breed of people the earth has never seen before. We were singing a song a while ago, and I, I had to sit and turn around because we were saying, show us your glory. 
Show me your glory. And the Lord said, Tony, turn around and look and you'll see it. I'm looking at the glory of God right now. You are the glory of God. You really are. We're always waiting for something external to happen to show us God's glory. It's right here. If you look next door to you, look in front of you, and look behind you, look around the room, you're going to see the glory of God if you look for it. Amen? So let's talk for a minute about being a kingdom culture. I can take that now. I've got something someplace up here to hold it. So everybody knows I have one. Um, yeah, you notice. It's a yeah, Christian outdoorsman hunting for God. <laughs> well, here's the deal. When I'm in the woods, I'm still, you know, I, I'm, I'm still hunting. And when I'm in church, I'm still hunting. It's all the same. There's no separation from secular and sacred, in my opinion. Not when you're living kingdom life. If you just go to church on Sundays, then you're, you've already separated secular from sacred, you know. Oh, I have a secular job. Since when? You may make a living out there, but that job is your ministry. That job is your calling. You're affecting people. You're supposed to be. No, no, there is no difference, guys. No difference. When I'm in the woods, I'm in church. When I'm in church, I'm in the woods. <laughs> it's like there is no difference. Amen. So let's talk a little bit about building a church culture. I'm going to try to be a little quick. So I can get you guys out of here by 4 o'clock, right? You said 4, huh? Wyoming. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm playing with you, but uh, I want to pray uh, a little bit. Dad, uh, God, I'm just so honored to be in this room, Lord, with your people and looking at the glory on these faces. And uh, You really do see the best in every one of us, God. You see the end from the beginning. You see the finished work inside of us. And that's your call, and that's your desire to fulfill it in all of us. You started a good work in everyone in this room, Lord, and you're able to complete it, and you will complete it. We were created for good works, the works that you called us for. None of us is lesser. None of us is greater. We're just all yours. We love you. We honor you. Next, that you help me and uh, help me present your word the way you want it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Becoming a key kingdom culture. Um, you know, we at the Potter's House, uh, let, me, let me just say this from myself. Uh, I tried changing the church by preaching to it. I've tried that already sucked <laughs> absolutely sucked because I find out you really can't change people without relationship you know uh, anybody ever got married and did it change you something about relationship that changes you doesn't it oh yeah you found out what it means to uh to give it all, to lay your life on the altar for somebody else. And the biggest struggle in marriage anyway, so if, if you're young in this room and, and, you, and, you, and you've not been married 
less than, if you've been married less than 10 years anyway, you find out one of the biggest struggles is just giving up yourself and your own desires and your own selfishness, your own self-centeredness for somebody else. That's your biggest battle. Once you get over that and you realize, you know what, I'm just going to love you so much, I'm going to ruin it for the next guy. If I died tomorrow, there wouldn't be another guy able to make my wife happy. No way. She would be so disappointed. <laughs> really. I just made sure she knows she's loved. That, that's to me one of the greatest things for me as a husband is that my wife knows that she is loved. That's my first and foremost ministry on planet Earth. Other than worshiping Jesus, that is my next ministry is that she will know that she's been fully, completely lived. And I don't know if I'm unplugging this. Yeah, I'm moving around a lot. So we'll get, we'll get through that. But let me tell you a little bit about what culture is supposed to look like. At the Potter's House, we, um, after I quit trying to change the church through teaching, and, and I still teach. I mean, we, we teach. We uh, preach. We uh, do a lot of different things. But... Uh, we really learned that if not through having a great sermon each week, because uh, the, you guys have done the second greatest thing today that you will do, and that was worshiping. That's the second greatest thing today that you will do. You want to know what the first thing is? The greatest thing that you'll do today? You'll forgive somebody, and you'll love somebody. Every, you know, I say forgive, people kind of like, that's a little uncomfortable. Well, you know, we, we always pray, make me like Jesus. You want to be like Jesus? Forgive. You can't be more like him than that. No way. I, hear, I know people all the time that, that hold grudges, that, that are angry with somebody, that have resentment for somebody, but yet they, they, every Sunday, make me more like you, Jesus. He keeps giving you that opportunity. <laughs> Enough said there. Let me tell you a little bit about what a culture, what a kingdom culture looks like. It is a culture of honor. It is a culture of value. It's a culture of love, and it's a culture of family. Now, if you will build culture in a church... Everything else falls in place. We have too long in America, and in, actually it's even worse than the other parts of the world that I've been in. We, we have such a religious, we, let's how to put, how, what's the right word, Dad? Uh, we have fallen in love with the form that we call church. Yes, I am. And we even idolize it to the point is, I know a church in our town one time that the pastor made a big mistake. He put the words to worship on a screen. They, they fired him. He messed with the form. No, we sing out the hymnal. This is holy. Seriously, they fired him. That's okay. He came and joined us. We loved him. We received him. I still value him very much. But it was, it's amazing how the form, if you, if you get things a little bit uncomfortable, how many people choose to leave or whatever because 
you've messed with my idol. And that's when you know it's an idol, if it messes with you that bad. Really, that's how you know. If something changes and everything inside of you goes, oh, not again. It's like, oh, I can't take this. Or you want to run, then, then you need to stop and, and do an internal check. Really, you need to say, why is this affecting me? Because really, it's like I'm here as an absolute beloved son of the Most High God. Nothing on planet Earth can take that away. It doesn't matter whether we're meeting in an upper room, because that's where we're at today. I'm glad you mentioned it. We are in the upper room. Amen? I love upper rooms. It's awesome. I mean, I love the presence of God here. But, I mean, we're, we're starting to build a culture that affects everything we do, everything we teach, every, everything we process, the way we look at things, and it starts to affect things around us. Um, because we, we choose to work on culture, and I know Jay, I was talking to Jay last night. He, he, ta he talked to you guys last week about being an apostolic church and things like that, right? And, and about what that means is how it goes out and affects the culture around it and stuff like that. And, and so we discussed that a little bit, and that's why I felt like God wanted me to continue on this line, a, a, a little thought on this. Because here's the deal. It's like in our town, we were known as a town that destroys councilmen and mayors. I'm serious. I would talk to Christians. I would beg them to, to get on a town council or get involved in town government. And they go, there's no way in the world. You think I want to get my life destroyed like that? Do you think I want to go through that every week, every month? I mean, really, I would beg them to. I said, well, here's the deal, guys. You're either going to sit back here and be part of the ones complaining about what people are telling you is the rules for this town and the way this town's going to run, or you get to be up there and make decisions how things are going to be run. Affect that culture or it's going to affect you. Something's going to affect something here. I mean, really, I can turn that thermostat up or down, and it's going to affect the room. But you get to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. And that's what we're called to be, thermostats. We decide the temperature. So here's the deal. We started building culture. So I went ahead and joined the town council. How many years ago? Five, six years ago now? Six years ago. Wow, it doesn't seem that long. And I'm going to tell you, it was rough for the first four years. Very rough. Because I went into it at a time with a deliberate purpose to change the atmosphere of our town council to change the atmosphere of the way it treats the town and the way the town can trust it and treat it. I went there when it was at its worst, and I said, I want the job. They, they said they needed a councilman. I volunteered. I didn't run for election. They were, they were asking for people to sign up, and I said, I want the job. And I went in there, and with all the bickering and everybody talking hatred, and those who felt the most bashed and those who felt the most who were such orphan-spirited people who was just lashing out at anything and everything, I would just speak life to them. They, they, would, they would be so overwhelmed by decisions and everything else, and I'd say, boy, you know, you, you really got some good thoughts there. I really want to think about this and process. And I always spoke and spoke life into them and spoke, a, and, and the atmospheres just started changing and changing and changing. And then the people of the town, I would, I would talk to th these guys later and I'd say, you know what, even if they diametrically oppose us, we need to value every human being that, stepped, that, that says something to say. 
You value them as a human being. It does not matter whether they are absolutely opposed to you or not. We need to value them and let them know we value them. Next thing you know, the town started respecting the council. The council started respecting the people at town. Now we actually have council meetings that are relatively fun to go to. We have business to take care of, but, I mean, we take care of business now. There's no fighting. But it's taken a few years because I was determined to change that culture, the governmental culture in our town. I'm not a school teacher. If I was a school teacher, I would be in the schools changing the environment of all the teachers in that school. I would be wanting to change the culture, not a person. I wouldn't be wanting to take the person who is the biggest problem and change them. I'd want to change the entire culture. So I'm just explaining a little bit to you about culture, what culture does. So when you build some values into your culture, what happens, everything changes. Really, I could teach you something today. We could have sermon after sermon after sermon, and you, you'll probably forget it before you walk out the door. You might even say, oh, that was great. Somebody might say, he calls himself a preacher? That's okay. <laughs> I'm not here to preach to you. I'm, I'm just coming here to be a voice piece of God and to, to love you and do my part in the body of Christ. That's all I'm doing here. I didn't come here to preach to you guys. I'm just here to love up on you because I care about you. You know, we value, we value Jay and Joy and we value this house. We really do. You guys are going to find out more and more because you just can't get rid of us now. We love you and there's nothing you can do about it. And I mean that. We just love you. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't change it. We made a commitment, all right? So here we go. We, we, we're talking about kingdom culture being a culture of honor, value, love, and family. It is also to be a prophetic culture. I know ours is, and I know this one is. Because if the Holy Spirit is given revelation, you are a prophetic culture. I'll let Jay teach on that later. <laughs> you are an apostolic culture. Because you are being sent out. You're going from these walls out. You guys have been being sent all over the town. You guys, who knows how many places you'll be before there's a place you settle in. Actually, it's more fun being a pioneer than it is a settler anyway. It's a whole lot more fun. It really is. But we're supposed to be a generous culture. And we're also supposed to be a benevolent culture. So now let's talk a little bit about it. A culture of honor. I want to read a passage of scripture from Romans chapter 12, <laughs> verse 9. Romans chapter 12, 9 through 13. A culture of honor. You know, if, if you build honor into the house, you don't have to do a lot of counseling. If everything you do and breathe and believe in is about honoring one another, you don't have to counsel people and say, you know, you need to honor them, you need to put up with them. Because we, uh, most of the time, counseling tells us how to put up with what we don't like, but it doesn't change the atmosphere or change us as much as it says, this is how you get through this phase. Right? Well, at least I believe it. Romans 12, 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. 
Jennifer talked about that last night. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Amen. I tell you what, uh, we need to build a culture that looks like that. And, and if you do, and, and other people see you, they will then say, hmm, there's something about the church that I think I want. Because you got to admit, you can't blame the world for not wanting to be part of the church these days. Really, you, you really can't blame sinners for acting like sinners. You can't judge them for being judgmental. You really can't even judge them because you can't even judge other churches some ways for the way they see us. Because we've been more than cultures, we have become cults. We've become homosexuals. Did you get that? We do that in local churches all over the place. I will have fellowship with you as long as you believe like I believe. And then we lose every bit of avenue and benefit of the rest of the body of Christ. We lose our position to be able to speak into their lives because we've already judged them as being different. <coughs> we can't get input from some other kind of avenue because regardless whether you think so or not, none of us in this room know it all. We don't have it all. I don't know of any single church that has all of the absolute right answers. That has it all figured out. I said somebody not too long ago that was complaining about somebody in a church. I said, boy, wouldn't church be perfect if it wasn't for people? <laughs> be absolutely perfect. God would be there. But nobody else. It would be perfect according to our plans, but not to dad's. Because dad doesn't see us that way. He looks in the crowd and he says, there's my glory. There's my saints. They're already called my saints. They're already called my people. Already called my children. They already have a crown waiting for them. They've already been established with purpose and plans, with love and with goodness and with grace. They're already walking in love. They're already have all the ability in them they'll ever, ever need. They don't need to get smarter. No need to get wiser. No need to know how to do things better. They are my beloved. He's absolutely thrilled with every one of us right now. Right now. Couldn't be more or less. Even tomorrow or even when you leave here and you look at your husband and your wife and, and you say, remember he said this? No, he never said that. Yes, he did. No, he never. Yes, he did. No, he never. <laughs> Besides, what's on for dinner? I'm late for my football game, by gosh. It's like, even with all of that, he absolutely loves us. Oh, what a good daddy. But we need to build cultures that believe that every day. We don't need to be a bunch of orphans trying to find our place in the body of Christ, trying to squeeze it to some little niche that somebody belongs in. But being ourselves, love children of God, fully accepted and accepting every single person who walks in the doors. 
We need to honor every one of our brothers and sisters and the stranger that walks in the door. We need to value. We need to be a culture of value. Romans 14, 8. This is one of my favorites these days, value. Not so much Romans 14, 8, but the valuing of people. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Now, I said that, and everybody in this room believes that. But do you believe it about the person next to you? How come sometimes we spend so much time judging others, but we don't want anybody to judge us? We like to hold true to this. Whether I live or die, I live unto the Lord. So, brother, don't judge me. But we're so busy trying to spend our energy. That's a waste of time. It's an absolute. Listen, I'm 62 years old. There's some in here older than me and some in here younger than me. You know what? I figure if I live to be 80, plus or minus, I know you guys, everybody can have some argument what you, what you think's old or young. I know. But I, I've seen a lot of 80 years old. And I know when I hit 80, I'm not going to be the same way as I, can, I am now. I have a lot I want to do between now and 80. And I don't want to spend and waste my energy on judging people when I could be loving people instead. I could be building up people, encouraging people, edifying people, causing people to see who they are in Christ Jesus instead of pointing out what I see in their life and the flaws in their lives. You, we talk about being a prophetic culture. Where do you read this? You will never look at somebody the same way again. You'll never see them as they are, but you'll have to see them the way God sees them. If you're going to really prophesy to people and speak to them, you don't need, it doesn't take a prophetic person to see your flaws. All it takes is a husband or a wife. <laughs> or a son or a daughter. Or a mom or a dad, right? Or a cousin or a friend. It doesn't matter. Everybody's able to see flaws. But can you look at people and say, that's God's kid. How does heaven see him? Where's the gold? Where's the good? Prophesy that if you want to change lives. Really, be a culture that's known for something instead of what you're against. That's the truth. I mean, I know, listen, I'm telling you from experience, I have messed it up before. Really, I, I know I can look back over the years and i got to say, oh, God, I'm so glad I'm learning something now because I don't know how many times we've been the, the, known as the church that was against something. I mean, we get up here every week and preach against or for global warming. We can preach against or for the president or whatever. You know, we can preach against something we don't like. Something going on in our world. Gosh, I remember the day when I was younger and you went to church. And the first half of the sermon was the newspaper. Let me tell you what's going on in the world today. There's prostitutes out in the streets. 
There's people cursing and fighting. Okay, now tell me something I don't know. <laughs> because it was the culture at that time. And a lot of you and I came from that culture. No matter what we do, let's not rebuild those cultures. Let's build a culture that's after the kingdom of God, that's after his heart. The kingdom, a kingdom culture is a culture where the king rules. That's the simplest form I know. The simplest definition for a kingdom culture is a culture where the king rules in everything. In other words, I'm not going to build a church and ask you to come bless it. You're the king. How do you want it built? You're the king. How are we going to do this? It's, it's always the king rules. And if the king's ruling, you have a kingdom group. You have a kingdom family. So let me move on. I need to move on. I, I could take a long time with this. I really could, and I'll, I'll try not to. But we value one another. We, I know we've learned in that at the Potter's House. We have a, a, king, a culture of value. I mean, we really have learned to where the least is just as important as what we might think is the greatest. We take little children. We have a little boy. How, how young is Sean? Sean? Sean. Kean. Kean. Eight years old. Have a little boy, eight years old. My wife is the first one I saw do this. And uh, comes from a family that most churches would. We now see the mom and dad prophesying in our church. We see them praying for everybody in our church, praying healing. We've seen God do so much in their lives, not because we have been so good at teaching them, because we started valuing them and speaking about the God that's inside of them and bring it to the forefront. So when they look in the mirror, they can't help but see the God that's in front of them because what you behold, you become. What I behold, I become. So keep telling somebody their flaws and watch them become that. I'm a product of that in my earlier life. But we have this boy, Kean. Kean comes from a, a broken drug family, but his mom and dad's not that way anymore. But that's where he came from. And little Kean comes up there, and, and he would be playing his video games in church and everything else. And, and, and you know, you're watching Kean, and you're wondering, man, is this kid getting anything out of church, out of being here or whatever? And, and Kean would be playing and everything else. So what Gwinnett started doing was saying, well, Kean, come on up here during worship and let's let's go, let's go lay down on a pillow and just let's listen to Jesus. Just kind of calm him and just get him connected a little bit or whatever. And so then Gwinnett would, would ask him after the service, Kean, eight years old, did you see anything? And I'll never forget the day he he just looked at it and goes, uh-huh. She goes, what did you see? She go, he goes, I saw these angels up here and I could smell them. And they smelled like this. And there was another woman in the church that was standing there that had kept smelling this atmosphere and was wondering what it was, but an eight-year-old boy saw him. And so every week, now, what the boy does, you don't have to tell him anything. The minute worship starts, he goes right to the very front. It would be like right here. Puts a pillow down and lays out and, and listens to Dad. And you go in. Kian, what? Did you see anything today? Did you hear anything? A lot of times, he's just a kid. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, what did you see? What? Oh, wow, yeah. Was it last week or the week before? Week before last. 
I went up and I said, Ken, did you, did you see anything today? He said, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just a kid. He, it's like, no big deal. He doesn't have a lot of stuff to break through, you know? And so he hasn't been so taught that he has to break past that all to, to see what's in the kingdom. And so I said, well, what did you see? He goes, there was an earthquake. I said, an earthquake? Where? He said, in heaven. Take note, the boy's seeing something here. And here's the deal. The boy was seeing an earthquake in heaven, and the prophetic word that came before that was that God is shaking something because somebody had a prophetic word for our church that we all, and that's for the church. It's not just for the potter's house. That we're, we're kind of like what's happened over the years is we've kind of been like a stream's flowing, but flowing kind of slow, and we sit there as a rock, and we get moss and all grows on us, and all kind of yucky stuff grows on us. Little critters crawls in there. You don't see them, but they're in there. And we do that because we've just become settled in and very comfortable. But the word came a couple of months ago that God was going to shake things. There was going to be a shaking in heaven. And what it was going to do, it was going to be a shift. But when the shift happened, what would happen, he saw, he saw in the spirit a, a boulder fall off. And then it fell into the main flow of the stream until it just washed everything off and it became a really clean, pr pretty boulder. And I'm going, wow, that was an awesome prophetic word. And now this kid sees the earthquake in heaven. And he's seeing the shaking going on. And we have felt a major shift in our church. But a little eight-year-old boy saw it first. It's amazing. Because we value the God that's in him. Because the Holy Spirit isn't a 60-year-old and an eight-year-old Holy Spirit. He's, he doesn't have an age. There's no such thing as, a, as an adult Holy Spirit and a child Holy Spirit. There really isn't. But we treat him that way, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit can speak to this child. And you know what's, what's changing that little boy's life? I look, I look at him now and I go, oh, my gosh, I wish somebody would have believed in me and valued me like that when I was eight years old. Would have valued the God inside of me. I don't know what this boy's going to be like when he's 15. I mean, if he's seeing heavenly things now and he's accurately seeing them. Because the day he saw the angels, I, I, I felt and understood they were there. A little eight-year-old kid. Yeah, I see. And he goes, it was in heaven. And he walks off, you know. Let me go play my game. It's like, whatever. It's like, okay, God. But we value him. And if you build a culture of value, you never know what's going to come out of that. You build a culture of honor. You know what? People won't be leaving all the time because they felt disrespected and dishonored. We won't have to keep rebuilding something because we're honored, giving honor where honor is due. And you know where it's due? Everyone who carries the king. Every single person who carries the king in their, in their heart deserves to be honored. Praise God. So we, we believe in value. We believe in love, agape. Let me just say a little bit about love. Love is intentional, benevolent, enduring patient, kind, forgiving, rejoices when right and truth prevail, believes and it bears up under anything, ever ready to believe the best for every person. Love never fails. I went through a, a time not too long ago and um, I had to make a decision. 
I didn't like where I was at. I didn't like how life was going. I didn't like a lot of things. I was looking at all the things God didn't do instead of looking at the things he had been doing. Instead of looking at his promises, I was looking at my disappointments. Anybody in this room ever get there? Really, It's really not a good place. And I was complaining to God about a certain area and, uh, and, and people's behavior towards me, certain people. And boy, the Holy Spirit pretty well said, shut up. I stopped. He said, I'm going to ask you a question. I said, okay. He says, do you love them? I said, yeah, I love them. Then why are you withholding love from them? Well, but because the way they're behaving, do I ever withhold my love from you when you behave that way? No. No. So, I want you to love them regardless of their behavior. And I said, well, God, but this, you know, I explained all the things to him. He didn't answer me back. You know what happens when there's no answer. You know your answer, right? So then he pretty well said, he says, I'm asking you to do something for me. I'm asking you to love them unconditionally. Hmm. What does that mean and what does it look like? So I, I said, what I'll do right now, God, <laughs> I'll make a commitment. I will do my best to love them unconditionally. From this, I said, then I stopped, and I said, no. From this day forward, I will love them unconditionally. I make a decision right now that I absolutely forgive them. None of, the, none of their behavior will ever affect my love again for them. I'm going to love them. They owe me nothing for that love. They don't have to respond a certain way. They don't have to behave a certain way. Regardless how they respond, regardless how they behave, I make a decision today. I will love them unconditionally. Within 24 hours, the complete at and I never even talked to them, the complete atmosphere between them and myself changed. The Holy Spirit knew how to go there a thousand miles away just because I made a commitment to love unconditionally. He knew how to go and break that wall between us. Because any area that you can't love somebody, you can't minister to them in that area. You can't prophesy in that area if you can't love them there. Not accurately. Because it's going to be filtered through you. It's going to be filtered through your stuff. And so I made a decision. and Because I've been on a three-year journey now to love unconditionally. I've been on an agape journey. You know, I, I'm going to write a book. I'm taking notes. The Lost Art of Agape. The church knows how to do church. Church knows how to do things. We know how to have fundraisers. We know how to have bake sales. We know how to have Sunday school. We know how to, how to feed the poor. We know how to do a lot of things. We've lost the art of agape. We've lost the art of absolutely loving people. And I'm talking about the gay people, the Muslims, The politicians that we don't like what they believe. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about can we absolutely make a decision to love? 
Because if you build a culture of that, God can trust you with the souls who need it the most. He who deserves love the least needs it the most. Hurt people hurt people. So if they're hurting you, it's because they're hurt. Because they're hurting. People who are mistreating you is because they feel they're an orphan and mistreated. I don't know how to respond any other way. But I made a decision to love unconditionally, and then the Holy Spirit upped it one. He says, now let's go to benevolent love. So what does that mean? Well, here's the deal. I'm, I, I've been having this saying, and I told you when I joined town council how rough it was. There was a couple of people on town council that was super-duper rough, meanful, mean, hateful, bitter. And it even includes them when God says you love them unconditionally. Doesn't matter their behavior. So I've made a commitment. I tell people all the time now. I'll go up to someone. I say, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I was thinking about one of those people that was so bitter and so mean one day, and I, I, I gave, it a pass, gave him a passing thought in my mind, and God said, what about them? Well, uh, almost. <laughs> what about them, Tony? Okay, God. I love them, and there's nothing they can do about it. None of their behaviors. But i got to go to benevolent love. It has to go to the next level. Here's the benevolent part. In other words, if my wife did something that hurt me very bad, I have to love her unconditionally. That means that cannot affect my love. But when I say I love you no matter what, that means no matter what. Nothing you can do about it. So God's going to put people in your path to see if there's something they can do about it when you start saying that. Really, it's a wonderful test. It really, no, and I really do mean it's a wonderful test because it's the only way I can see how I'm doing. So I, I, I really, I'm glad when people come my way that are the hardest test because I, I, I have to ask myself, can I love them no matter what? But benevolent love does this, the next level. It's like everything I think about you, everything I say to you, everything I, I want for you has to benefit you with nothing X for in return. Nothing. We, I was teaching this in our church one day, and a woman who's having a really rough time with her husband, he has not given her the love she needs. And uh, she wrote me back after the message. She says, I don't think that's, that's necessarily a right statement. So I just text her back. I said, why? She goes, uh, I would rather say, I would rather tell my husband, I love you, and what are you going to do about it? <laughs> she was being honest. She's a leader in my church. She's much better than that. She really is. She's a whole lot better than that. You should see how she really is. But that's what she wrote. She wrote back her real feelings. She said, I wanted to say, I love you, and what are you going to do about it? Just like when I was dating and when I first got married, you guys know how to use the word, I love you, baby. <laughs> Expecting something in return. 
I can do it with the chipped tooth and everything. And you know what I'm talking about. We know how to love somebody when we want something. We know how to go out as a church and do a, a community thing expecting some response back from them. When our communities see us love them genuinely for who they are, a child of God, every human being is either a Christian or a pre-Christian, they are loved by God completely. While they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. And we need to love them absolutely where they're at. In other words, I'm not going to treat you good. Oh, but by the way, here's the flyer. Make sure you're in my church Sunday. You know, expecting something for return. We've done that. They already know that game. That's why they don't even want to hear you the first, in the first place. They know the game. Ouch. Okay. So uh, we have to be very intentional with our love. The other thing about the culture of hope, and I'm, I'm going to close with this. If you build a family culture, really, let's go back to the other one a little bit. Seriously, seriously, the scripture says they will know we're his children because we have love one for another. That doesn't just mean our local church. The body of Christ. Let me stretch you a little further. That's okay. You're, you're doing okay. You're still breathing. That means our Catholic brothers and sisters. That means our Mormon brothers and sisters. Sure, we have some major doctrinally differences. I know a lot of Mormons absolutely love Jesus. I know a lot of Catholics absolutely love Jesus. It means my Baptist brothers and sisters who always speak bad about me because I speak in tongues and I act weird and prophesy and believe people can be healed anywhere, anytime, don't even need wor music, worship music playing. That means everybody. That means the body of Christ. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? No difference. No walls. Because when you say, I love you no matter what, that means every wall, every single wall has to come down. But you really do get to practice right here first amongst yourselves. You get to practice, and you'll have opportunities. You'll have opportunities to really see if you mean it. I dare you to start telling each other, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Because when you do, opportunity will come where they can do something about it. But if you really mean it, it won't affect you. Build a culture like that. Let the world see that where people of different religions and different denominations can absolutely love each other with no walls. Let the world see a church that looks like that and see how we affect the world because the world can't live that way. You're only in if you agree and you're out if you don't. And that's how we've been in the past in the body of Christ. That's not where God's taken the church. He's really taking the church. That'll be a culture that'll be different than that. We need to be a culture of family. I tell you what, uh, there's no greater thing. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost has always been family. 
You say, but they're one, brother. Let's don't get over a bunch of doctrinal stuff. Yes, they're one. I absolutely believe that. But they still are all three different, and they're all one. Okay. I believe like you believe with that. We have, I'm doctrinally sound in that. But I just want you to understand. I was talking to Jay last night. I said, what do you think would have happened in, in the book of Genesis when God said, let there be light? Because remember, Jesus Christ is the word, remember? God the Father and God the word. But the Holy Ghost wasn't hovering upon the face of the earth. What do you think would have happened? Nothing. Can't do without any part. Somebody had, there had to be a force on planet earth, the Holy Spirit. There had to be a dunamis happening. There had to be some power attached to those words that was bringing about the change. Amen? All three of them were in harmony. They were always in harmony. They are the example of what kingdom culture looks like. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are examples. None of them are confused about their part. None of them are arguing over your part or my part. No, I want to do that. No, I want to do that. No. They all are happy with who they are. And they all have one purpose and one goal. And that is whatever the Father wants. Amen? So you build family because God is all about family. Absolutely about family. He loves families. Why do you think Satan's been trying to destroy families so much in, our, in the world? Why do you think that's been the biggest attack on, on our earthly culture that we live in? I mean, it, it's, I might as well, let's go ahead and let's act like an old preacher for a second, Tony. I mean, the reality is we should not have the same divorce rate in the church that's in the world. There is something wrong there because we haven't built a culture of honor and value. We haven't built a culture of knowing what true love is all about, of unconditional love, because the reason people get divorced is because they put conditions on each other. And you know what? If, if I place a conditional, if I put conditions on my wife, I'm not guaranteed she'll meet those conditions or any other human being whatsoever. And if you put conditions on me, I can't guarantee I can meet those conditions all the time. I can't guarantee it. It's impossible. You're setting, you're setting yourself up for dissatisfaction with me. If I put conditions on you, I'm setting myself up for a dissatisfaction. Right? So let's, let's just remove that. Let today be. My wife's going to do an activation here, and I think it's in line with everything that was said and done here today. And uh, she's going to do an activation that's going to have something to do with the culture here. She's going to start establishing some culture here. Culture of honor, culture of value, culture of love, and culture of family. Uh, she told me right before the message, when we were standing, that's why we walked in the other room, something she felt like the Lord was telling her, and, and I can't imagine how that fits. It's amazing. It's amazing when you let dad be dad, huh? But she's going to, I'm just going to let her do that. I just want to tell you guys, let's pray before she, before she does. Father, uh, I pray that this word brought hope to people today. I know I challenge people, God. I know it's part of who I am to challenge people, part of my DNA. Because I get challenged by you every day, more than once. 
and I love it. I don't ever want to stay the same. We don't want to stay the same. The people in this room, Lord, and you people, you love them so very much. There's some awesome people in this room, people that are able to do more than they ever thought they could do. There's people in this room that's going to see their families change and turn around because they start understanding they're part of a culture that's called the kingdom of God. They don't have to try to be something they're not. They just have to receive who they are. Your children, absolutely loved, absolutely forgiven. They're equipped. They've got your ability flowing in their veins. They know what honor feels like. Your word says in the, the golden rule, do unto others as you want to be want done to you. So we all know what this looks like, Father, deep down. And I believe there's people in this room today making a commitment in their hearts to where that's what I want. That's what we want for Cheyenne Vineyard to be a culture of honor, a culture of value, a culture of love, and a culture of family. To be a prophetic culture, an apostolic culture, a generous culture, and a benevolent culture. It starts right here, just how we, we see ourselves first and foremost, that we are already in your kingdom. We're already called part of it. So we surrender to your will and to your ways. We just surrender to the goodness that you've placed inside of us, God. We don't have to work hard at it because it is the Jubilee year. We just surrender. We surrender our wills to yours, God, to love unconditionally, to love people with a benevolent love, that our lives are important to them. Takes away the fear of ministry, takes away all kind of fears. Perfect love casts out fear. That we're going to be the best lovers that we can possibly be. Because we have the greatest lover of all time living inside of us. We're going to affect our families because we're going to quit judging them. For how they don't line up with the way we believe or think. We're going to love those in other denominations, other churches, other groups. We're going to even honor those, Lord, who who have left us or who have went another way because they couldn't follow us into this place. We're going to be a blessing to them. We're going to show them honor and value and love. They're still part of our family. We're still part of them. This road, this road that we're all on, Dad, has so many so many changes taking place all the time. And you're so rapidly growing your church forward. You're on a rapid advance, and it starts in our hearts, each and every one of us, God. That your kingdom would advance in our hearts, in our minds, and in our wills. First and foremost, we just thank you that you don't forget us. You don't leave us to ourselves. 
You love us, Dad, and we love you too. And we look forward to seeing how your culture changes Cheyenne. How we can change our brothers and sisters in every church because we can show them how to do things differently. We can be a culture that shows the world a different way. This is what the kingdom looks like, Dad. It looks like this room right now. And I thank you so much for your words, Dad, for these people. Speak your blessings and strength on every one of them. I speak your healing in every heart. Where there's been every wound, I speak healing. I speak that your passion would burn through our veins in the name of Jesus Christ. I speak that the sorrows would fall under the balm of your oily love as your love would be poured upon our heads, run down through every part. We, the children of God, residents of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. wants to reestablish a foundation with this church family. I honor y'all because y'all have gone through so many changes and you hung in there. And you know in yourself, when you go through a lot of trials, you feel like, okay, God, I'm, you know, even in your home, it's like, oh, I feel kind of shaky. I feel weary. I feel tired. I'm fighting some confusion. I'm wondering, are we doing right? Are we doing wrong? Um, I'm missing things like I don't even know where to sit anymore. You know? But I honor you because you went for it. And I believe today is establishing that foundation again amongst this family. And if you're not a fam- part of this family, if you're a visitor, you, was- you establish that foundation with them. You join with them because that's kingdom culture. So we're going to do a little activation. It's almost like a part of a wedding ceremony. Making a commitment to each other. Because that's what we do as a family. When we love unconditionally, we make a commitment. So Jane, jo- oh, Joy's in the other room. Can she come out? Okay. I know she's with the kids. What we're going to have to do is Jay and Joy come forward. They are the mom and pop figure type, the lead, the head leaders. That'll make them many more special than you are to God. It's just that they carry a little bit extra load and weight. You know, as a mom and dad, you carry a lot more responsibilities. Even when the kids get to be teenagers and adults, you still carry and feel the burdens of many of your children, even when they're on their own. And so we're going to just establish them as a recommitment ourselves to them, and then we're going to recommit to each other. So we're going to wait for change. So while we're at that, what does... Yeah, maybe a little. 
What would commitment, what would some things mean when I say the word commitment to you? What would you say a commitment is? This is when you respond. Huh? No matter what. Your support, you're there. Agreement. Strength. Promise. Huh? Bond. Tools to stay connected. Okay, I can't hear you. Responsibility. Take responsibility. So commitment comes in presence. That doesn't mean you're not here. If you if you miss a week, oh, you're not committed. No, okay. There's a commitment. I tell my, we tell our people at church. You know, we want you to go off and do things with your family. And sometimes it does fall on a Sunday. But you know what a commitment is? Hey, Gwinnett, send me a message. Call me. Send me a text. Hey, we're going to spend the day to family. We love you. We'll see you next week. And then I can bless them. Go and go back. Right back. Have a blessed day. Bless your family. Love them. Love them. Be with them. Show God. Now, what kind of commitment is that? That's not judgment saying, oh, you miss Sunday? And then it's not harshness on them, like, I can't miss a Sunday. Do you understand the concept? We got to live out here and live here. This is where we get together so we can use each other's talents and minister to each other. Commitments also finances. And a lot of times we don't want to hear that one. But it is. Commitment is encouraging one another. Commitment is not taking offense. You know, when I first started going to church, one of the biggest offenses, you sat in somebody's chair that was their chair all the time. Anybody been around those days? <laughs> you know, how many times you can get offended? Like, they didn't hug me today. They were hugging everybody else, but they didn't hug me today. Oh, I saw them in the street and they passed and they didn't wave. I mean, we take offense. Well, they weren't here to work six hours. They weren't work here two hours and I worked six. Come on, we get offended instead of loving unconditionally. Doesn't it mean we always agree with each other's behavior? No, but that shouldn't stop our love. Will we always agree in every decision that's made? Whether it's how we put the chairs or what picture we put on the wall or who collects the offering or who gets credit for what? That's not relevant. That's just a stumbling block to stop loving one another. So Jane Joy, come on forward. Now I want you to ponder in your heart Am I ready to reestablish a foundation and a commitment with Cheyenne Vineyard? Or as a fellow Christian, okay, fellow brother and sister, if you do not, if this, this is not your church home. So I'm going to mention several commitments. And if you can commit to at least one of them, hopefully more than one, okay? But if you can commit to at least one and start there, that's a good foundation. And when I finish, if you can commit to any one or more, I want you to stand, okay?
Can you commit to be an encourager to this body in Cheyenne? Can you commit to your responsibility of what's your part? Can you commit to love one another unconditionally? Can you commit to do your finances as you can and be challenged to do more? Can you commit to not be offended? Can you commit to find the gold in each other? Can you commit to let's join together and build a kingdom of God? Can you commit to go through all the hard work of moving again one day to your home? Hey, y'all moved a lot. Yeah. And I believe because of this commitment that the hard struggles are over. The work is not over, but the hard struggle is over. So I want you to just tell Jay when I say I, like I do, okay, like a wedding. Jay and Joy, Joy and Jay, because y'all together, it's not separated, okay? We commit to you our time, our energy, our fan finances, our love, our strength. We choose to encourage you as our leaders to back you up, to love you unconditionally, to be with you day and night in prayer. And we all say, I do. So, oh, do you want to say I do back? Yeah. We do. We do. <laughs> now, I want you to find someone other than your spouse or your sister or brother. Find somebody, and I want you to hold hands with them because we're going to give the same commitment to each other. And this is to symbolize this is to the body of believers, okay? Go find someone. So you go ahead and say it. I don't have to lead you. I think y'all can do it. Make a commitment to each other. I will choose to love you unconditionally. I choose not to be offended. I choose to encourage you to be part of your life, to lift you up. I choose to help you when I can financially or physically. I choose to be part of the family of God. finish you can have a seat now when we did most of us got married and we said our vows the work began huh because you have to walk it out I encourage you if you slip what do you do you get up if you need to talk to someone because you're having struggles, talk. It may work. It may not. 
That's But don't give up. Don't give up. This is a powerhouse. A church that is known to be God's church is not by numbers. It's not by programs. All that is part of it. But it's known more by the love of God. With that love, you do your programs. If there's no love, there should be no programs. A powerful church is a church that loves and stays, sticks together. That doesn't mean just your little family here, but you stick it together as a family and you love others out there. And you'll change your city by the love of God. to know what's happening with the kids today there's one child in nursery and there's four in Sunday school and when Jay came to get me to have me come here five-year-old boy says oh please tell me the service is not almost done I want to stay here all day <laughs> and so did one of the girls so God is doing something back there it was a lesson from Jesus life in obeying God and they want to stay all day. I just want to share one thing, too, from the heart of the fathers. Tony and I were up here just talking about his love. The one thing that we need to be reminded of is that Jesus said in John 17, 20, they may all be one just as we are one. Each and every one, even though there are many of us, if you think about all the cells in your physical body, you can't count them all. But God says that he wants to bring us all one, not just unity, oneness. And so I want to encourage each and every one of you. I'm, you cannot speak of those things too much. It's the one area in the body of Christ that we have fallen because of cultural Christianity as opposed to to being kingdom culture. And so be reminded in that when one of the part of the body suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. You know, it's not going to matter what the chairs look like or whether they're lined up properly or any of those things. But it is going to matter when Jesus comes back because he's going to say, I know you. You're part of the body. You're part of me. Enter into my kingdom. Amen. I just wanted to share a testimony for those who were praying for us while we were in Hawaii visiting Phil's dad. We were on the island of Oahu, and everyone would think, oh, you're going to Hawaii for vacation. Well, we went to visit his dad in the hospital. And while we were there, his dad is Chamoran, and his dad's wife is Chinese. I was praying, how do we share Jesus with them? Huge language barriers. <laughs> S 
so it was it was already Wednesday and we'd been there for three days and we'd seen his dad for a few hours in the rehab center on and off he didn't want us there while he was eating because we just stared at each other <laughs> but while I was there I was praying you know all right God you brought us here I know you have we want to see your glory this time could be very limited make make sure this time is exactly let us let us hear what you want us to do So we uh, left the dad that afternoon, and we were going to go eat on our own in the park. And we bought a fresh fish from the fish market. Those of you who have Facebook saw pictures. And the part that I didn't post that is just still God's glory is blowing my mind is that in this park, it's it's big. It's a big park right on the beach. It's beautiful. And there's places where you can sit and have picnics and barbecue. Uh, that's what you do there. And there is a table, and most of the other tables were t taken. And there's certain tables where you can barbecue at, and there's certain ones that you're not supposed to. Well, the one that we chose had this man sitting there. And I thought to myself, here we come, we're just gonna un overrun this, this guy's table. <laughs> some, some white guy, I can say that. <laughs> so I'm thinking, here comes, we had, we had the dad's wife, wife with us, Sue is her name, and Phil and his nephew, Emmo, uh, both of them conversing in their language, me just kinda hanging out with Sue and speaking with her but not you know fluently obviously and we started talking with this gentleman and asked if it was okay if we shared this table with him to make a long story short it turns out that he speaks chinese he starts ministering to sue in chinese i'm blown i'm i can't even get up i'm like okay i'm just gonna see here and I asked God, am I supposed to go over there? Because I'd kind of removed myself because I was wanting to be in the sun, and this tree had provided a lot of shade. And the Lord said, no, just lay here. <laughs> I'm doing all the work. Yeah. It's like, I can do that. <laughs> this, this man, this white guy from Minnesota, of all places, starts speaking to her in fluent Chinese, and they're just back and forth. She's so excited because now she has someone to talk to, which with Phil and I, you know, there's a few words. I mean, we, we can get out. We're going to go eat, and this is what we're doing and things like that. But um, And then out of his bag, he reaches out and gives her a Bible in Chinese. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Dad. Yeah. yeah. And this, this is not... This is not, you know, there's so much mixture on the islands, as, as a lot of you know. Everything from the, the, the husband and the Phil's dad and uh, wife believe, probably from Buddhism to their Catholic to Shintoism. I mean, it's across the board. And he starts preaching the love of God to her. 
There was no mixture. It was Jesus. Yeah, there. I just wanted to share that because I know that a lot of you were praying for us, and we definitely had a lot of God moments, but that one, the glory of God was right there, most unexpected in some random park in Hawaii with a white guy from Minnesota <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's a Chinese angel. <laughs> That's, that's so awesome. I think that was the day I sent you the text, wasn't it? Uh-huh, that I was praying for you. Yeah. Hmm. God is good all the time. Uh, it's, it's been a special day. Uh, made even more special uh, by wonderful friends. who are rejoicing with us today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Father, thank you. Mm. Mm. Yes, you are so good. Your love is so immeasurable. And unconditional. And uh, God, I, I just pray that you would fill us with your love. And that as we leave, it would just ooze out all over this city. Uh, be like leaven working its way through the whole culture of this city. Because, Lord, we know that's, that's what you want to do. You want to change the culture of Cheyenne. So, Lord, we, we say yes. Thank you, Lord, for a new foundation. And now you, you build what you want. And bless your people as we go. For the glory of your Son. Amen. <laughs>